You're listening to the Q's Podcast, episode number 13. Hello, credit union leaders. Welcome to the Q's Podcast, where we'll talk to credit union industry leaders and cross-industry experts for a wide range of perspectives on trends and topics relevant to you. I'm your host, James Lenz, Q's Professional Development Manager. In this podcast episode, we'll explore cybersecurity with Jim Stickley. He is CEO of Stickley on Security. Jim has stolen credit cards, hacked social security numbers, robbed banks, and created fake ATMs. He has broken into armed government facilities and has stolen from teenagers. He is an identity thief, but he is no criminal. Fortunately for all victims involved, Jim Stickley is a cybersecurity expert with over 20 years in the industry who was hired to perform these attacks by corporations testing their security, news agencies investigating security concerns, and other news media interested in knowing just how easy it is to commit identity theft. His job is to find security flaws before the real criminals find them and warn people and organizations about what they can do to protect themselves. Jim Stickley was one of our featured keynote speakers at the recent Q's Directors Conference. He was highly received at our event, and as one attendee stated, his program was a wake-up moment for me. Some key takeaways from today's episode include, there is not a single financial institution that isn't dealing with cybersecurity or fraud on a daily basis. Identifying the areas of biggest risk for cybersecurity attacks the role of credit union directors in relation to fraud and cybersecurity, and steps you can take to reduce the risk of fraud and cybersecurity threats. Here's my highly educational and very interesting conversation with Jim Stickley. Today, our guest is Jim Stickley from Stickley on Security. Jim, thank you for being a guest in the Q's podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, I actually, I have to tell you, Jim, a number of years ago, I saw you on an early morning network television show. And I'm like, oh my gosh, look at this guy. He's actually was maybe hired by an organization, maybe by the television news network to actually steal. <laughs> it's now, pretty, pretty ridiculous. Let's, so I want to know about that. And I want to know about your background on, on Stickley on security. So well, whatever order you want to do that in. Sure. I guess we could start with, I, I've i been breaking into things pretty much my whole life. I started doing this very young. First, it was just as a kid. People, you know, go out with your friends and we couldn't afford anything so I could figure out how to talk my way into movies. So we never paid for movies. And then I realized, well, if we could talk our way into movies, I could get into other things. We started talking our way into Disneyland or SeaWorld. Like, we just never paid for anything because we could talk. As I got older, I, I realized, you know, I could possibly turn this into something where companies also had risks. I could use that same kind of gift of gab to talk my way into stealing whatever I needed to steal. So I've spent my whole life basically testing security. And then the news agencies started hearing about it. So then they started bringing me in and having me rip off businesses or people on the street or whatever so that they could film it and then teach people how not to fall victim. So how old was when that happened? When The uh, the first time I did television? Was, yeah. Um, it's been a number of years now. I probably – 10 years ago, 15 years ago uh, was the first time. And now I, I do it a, a lot. But back then, I mean, the first one was really cool because, <laughs> hey, you know, someone wants you on TV. And I've just been always kind of a nerdy computer guy. You never really expect you to be on TV. So that was that was kind of cool. And then, you know, it just kind of became a continual thing. Wow. That's interesting. So uh, what kind of areas do you work in? What's your primary focus? It's, it's all cybersecurity. Um, that's all I've ever done. Um, primarily, it's, it's on the hacking side. So I've spent a lot of time where companies say, hey, we have X piece of data. 
try to steal it. And it's either hack in so we, you know, figure out how to break their software and get in that way, or we'll physically go in and steal it and, and take it that way. So I've spent a long time doing that. And then more recently with Stickly on Security, um, I've, I've shifted my focus more to the education side because what I found was that it's, it's not hard to break into organizations. It's, it's just not. And on the other hand, if you could teach people what to do so they don't fall victim, that would make far more sense. And so I really moved my gift to there. Yeah, I mean, the, the problem is that people kept falling victim. Every time you would go in and try to rip them off or physically go or whatever, you would have success. And to me, that's that's not a good sign. And I started kind of evaluating where is the problem? And it always seemed to come back to the employee. I mean, the employees make simple mistakes. And it's not that they're dumb or it's not that they're not being trained. But oftentimes, they're not trained on the right things. And they're also not ever expecting it to truly happen to them. And so what I found is that we had to change our entire focus on how you do education, especially when it comes to cybersecurity. And that's what I focus on now. Wonderful. But if you don't mind, if I can back up, I wanted to ask you about your background, though. You think you mentioned earlier in this conversation that it was in coding? Yeah. Computer program. Yes. Yeah. So, so I started programming kind of, kind of young. Uh, when I was 12, I got my first computer, which now is not young, but back in 1982, that was pretty young. I got a Texas Instruments TI 99 computer and, and it turned out I had a knack. I mean, I could just, uh, I started programming almost immediately. So by the time I was 16, I was already doing development work for corporations and it just, it was just something that I could do. 16 Um, years old. Yeah. So I mean, languages, I can pretty much, if you give me a new programming language, I'll, I'll learn it within a week or two. I mean, not I'll be, you know a god at it, mm-hmm. but I'll be good enough to be able to do development on it. So you got the natural curiosity, and then you got the skills to back it up, which is probably based on your curiosity. Sure. And so, so let's. So your focus now, you said, was on yeah, and I guess education. I give you one more thing that kind of goes in, and being a nerdy kid who's good at programming, who's in their teens, it's not like you have a lot of avenues of things to do, and that kind of then led into hacking, where I wasn't. A hacker, like a malicious guy, but I was very curious. And so I got really into getting into the phone systems, learning how the phone systems work. And that also gave me more background into security as I got older because I was already getting into the back end side of how that all worked on the hacking side of it. Very interesting background. We know that fraud is a big topic for financial organizations. How big is it? It's a problem. Uh, I mean, you're, you're seeing uh, any any credit union out there that's listening to this understands exactly where we're at. I mean, you're talking about cybersecurity and, and fraud in general. There's not a single financial institution that isn't dealing with this on a daily basis, where whether it be card numbers that have been stolen, account takeovers, those types of things, it's just a continual problem, and it doesn't seem to have any sign of letting up. So what is the biggest reason these members are falling for cyber attacks? I mean, I think what you're seeing, obviously data gets stolen in a a number of different ways. But when it's the members themselves that have their data stolen, almost inevitably it's going to start with their email. If you look right now, phishing is just out of control. And while everybody's familiar with what phishing is now, still the numbers aren't decreasing in the amount of people that fall victim. And there's a few reasons for that. The primary reason is just the massive amount of phishing attacks that are going on. I mean, when you have an exponentially higher number than ever before, more people are just going to fall victim by a bigger net. But 
the, the thing is, once they get these emails, everybody has an idea in their head that they'll know what a bad email looks like. Everybody thinks, okay, it's going to have the broken English or it's going to be from eBay or PayPal or one of the obvious sources. And they don't realize that criminals have wisened up and they've gotten really sharp. And now they're sending emails that look like they come from your mom. It looks like they come from your coworker. And so you're immediately going to trust the email because it looks like someone that you trust. And then the email has a much better message. It'll have your name in it now. It'll talk sometimes about what you do for a job. It'll have really good information to make you believe that email is exactly who it is or what it's supposed to be. And in reality, it's all scam to get you to either open the link or open the attachment or do whatever it is they're asking you to do and people fall victim. So if it's happening to the members, it's happening to the credit unions. That's the problem as well. So yes, if, if a member can fall victim to this, then think about your employees. Now the criminal can send an email to one of your employees that looks like it comes from his boss telling the employee, hey, check out this link and let me know what you think or open this attachment. I'm sending you a document. Please read over this. It's important for your job or something like that. And people go, okay, I mean, it came from my boss. I better do this. And so they click the link, they open the attachment and their computer is now compromised. It's that simple. It's easy for it to occur but certainly is preventable. So where do we go from this point here? Yeah, it's preventable, but it comes down to education. I mean, if you, if you think about it, like if an employee already has an idea in their head that they know what a bad email looks like, and yet you're finding anybody that does any kind of phishing tests for their own staff, which everybody should, um, you find that you're going to have 30 40% failure rate, which means that that's three or four out of every 10 employees would become compromised if someone targeted your organization. With that in mind, you really need to help them understand it's not a matter of trying to spot the bad email. It's trying to figure out that every email should be treated bad until proven otherwise. So that is a good piece of information for listeners to think about. But I wanted to also ask maybe to a particular group, any credit union, uh, such as board of directors, what role do they play? Because they now play a major role in uh, cybersecurity. What are some efforts or some questions maybe that they might want to consider and discuss? Sure. I mean, the, the directors have a really big role now. I mean, the, the FFIC and all the regulators now are saying that the directors are supposed to be directly involved in the fraud detection, fraud prevention of the organization. They're no longer just kind of passive, like, oh, hey, let's hear what you've done. Now they're supposed to be asking the tough questions, and they're required to. Um, there's guidelines put out. FFIC's put out specific guidelines saying that here is what you need to do as a board member. You must be involved in these things. And if you if you read the FFIC handbook, for example, it, um, information handbook, it tells them very specifically all the things they're supposed to be doing. And, and they have to do those things. And oftentimes you'll find that they don't. Uh, for example, they're supposed to be very aware of what their security policies are that have been put into place. They're supposed to be aware of what programs they're implementing to make sure that education is going on with their staff. Um, it's an unlimited number of different things they're responsible for. And if they're not doing these things, not only can they be held liable, um, if fraud takes place, there could be a financial or monetary attached to them personally, and they can end up in lawsuits and other things that can be really, really bad. Um, and one of the things that's kind of crazy is oftentimes people go, okay, well, if I'm on the board, they probably have some sort of a group policy that's been put into place that's supposed to protect me. But there's been time and again where it's been proven that those policies don't actually carry over the way they're supposed to. People don't realize, like, if I'm a director today and tomorrow I leave for whatever reason, I'm no longer a director. Well, I'm no longer on that group policy. However, I'm still under the statute of limitations, which means now if somebody comes back a year from now, 
and sues that credit union, I'm not covered anymore, but I'm still on the hook for that. And depending on what kind of a contract you had in place with that credit union for other things to protect you, you can personally be held liable. And now it's coming out of your bank account to not only fight the lawsuit, but then pay the fines. This conversation is going to ring strong. This is People aren't aware of this, aren't they? I don't think that they are. I mean, you, you talk to them and so many times people are on boards, you know, some of them understand all the risks and they really get it. And other times people join the board. They think they're just trying to help their community. They've gotten involved because they want to do the right things and, and they're in it for the positive aspect, but they don't realize the personal liability that they're carrying by being on that board. So it just goes back to education. Yes. Being so important you know, uh, to the next step and the following steps after that. Another thing that yeah, the board should be doing, and it's another document that's put out by FFIC. They put out some great ones specifically for the directors. And it's the FFIC Cybersecurity Assessment General Observations little document that comes out. In that one, they literally list questions one after another that a board member should be asking to the IT staff, security personnel, and other people in the organization to make sure they're doing the right things. And they're the hard, tough questions that a lot of times – are just completely forgotten about. And if they just follow this thing step by step and get documented answers, one thing, they're kind of doing a CYA because they're going to have all this stuff documented now. So if anything does go wrong, they can say, look, we went through this. We asked all the tough questions. Another thing is they're going to find those landmines that they just didn't even know existed. And suddenly they're going to start opening up all new areas and go, wow, I mean, like this is a risk to us. And then they can start addressing those risks. And again, the more risks you can reduce, the more secure you're going to end up being. What drives internal fraud? I believe it's a lack of education. I think it's mistakes. Uh, so many times you look at what ends up happening and it comes down to one employee, or one person made one minor mistake that happened just that one moment in time. And that becomes the first domino that falls and all the ones fall into place. And then it becomes a catastrophic failure. So you described the latest security tools that criminals are using. You mentioned, you know, that low hanging fruit, which is phishing or email. But what are one or two other things that you're seeing that people should be considering? Well, uh, besides email, which is obviously the biggest risk, then it comes down to just web access in general. So I think there's going to be a time, and you're starting to see a little bit now, where there's some controls being put in place. So if an employee doesn't need access to a certain area, certain things, they shouldn't have it. In the old days, it used to be pretty much if an employee was on the network, they had access to browse the internet. And then the first thing they started knocking down was, hey, we probably shouldn't allow them to get to porn because that could lead to problems. So they started putting in some sort of, you know, parameters so that you couldn't get to porn and maybe you couldn't do some like YouTube or things like that. And that's about where they've drawn the line. I believe it's got to get to the point now where an employee comes in and you go, okay, what does this employee need access to on the internet? If they need access to these five sites, maybe they need Kelly Blue Book because they're looking up for loans or whatever it happens to be, they, they need these things. That's the things they have access to and everything else is shut down. And if you look at it from that aspect, that reduces your risk tremendously because now even if someone gets compromised, their computer has some sort of malware that ended up on their computer, the site that's supposed to remotely control that computer can't get to it because they can't get out. There's, there's no access outbound from their computer to those sites. So you've now eliminated a huge threat just by accident because they couldn't get out to begin with. And that goes with email as well. I don't think there's a time where an employee needs to receive email from the outside just because. It used to be people go, oh, well, if I'm at work, 
and I need email access, otherwise I'm cut off. But nowadays, everybody has a mobile device. If you need to be able to communicate with your friends or family or whatever, you pull it out of your pocket, you can send your own emails personally and deal with all that stuff. The company shouldn't be providing you that anymore. Now it's an intranet. Hey, I got to be able to email the other employees internally. And then there's those handful of employees that need to be able to receive them outside. And that's the only employees that should get email from the outside. And again, you, you reduce all of that risk because there's no emails coming in. So you don't have to worry about phishing or any of the threats that come along with it. You've solved the problem. I love that those are key takeaways that the listener can and grab and, and take use of. So it's almost like a customized set of parameters. Yes. For different groups, job descriptions, uh, exactly. different job titles. Yeah. I mean, so reducing the risk is the key. And if you want, I mean, that can help an organization incredibly just by taking those steps. Well, think about a teller. How much access do they really need to the internet if they're a teller? I mean, they, they've got a very specific job, a specific job function. They generally shouldn't need inbound email. They shouldn't need to be browsing all over the internet. It's a very limited role. That should be what their access is, is based on that role. And the big pushback I get when I'll sit down with a board and they'll go, okay, but if we roll this out today, we're going to have mutiny. Everybody's going to go, you can't take away my internet. Oh my gosh, the sky's falling. And I go, okay, here's what you do. You kind of go with the, uh, what is it? The, uh, the frog in the pot, the boiling water. If they sit in there early, they don't know what's happening. So you, you start with employees that are new. You tell the employees, we're not going to mess with them at all. Every new employee that comes in, though, you already set them to this is the policy. This is just how it is. So it's not shocking to them because they're just happy to have the job. They're going to do whatever you say, however you say, and they're not going to complain. Well, after you get enough of these new employees coming in, pretty soon you have enough of a base. That you can go back to the other employees and go, look, it's working fine for them. You're fine now. It's going to be for everybody. And then it's kind of, it's already happened and now it's rolled out to everybody and it's a much cleaner, simpler, less traumatic way to do it. Jim, I love your experience. Thank you for sharing this. I, I know the listeners take some key takeaways and we have cues in the whole organization. Thank you for being part of the Q's podcast. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Q's. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple iTunes to receive the newest episodes as soon as they are available. Also, we would really appreciate it if you'd leave us a rating and a comment on iTunes. That gesture will help us get the word out about how we can be of service to credit union professionals like you. For more talent development content from Q's, visit cues.org now. If you're a Q's member, you have access to invaluable membership benefits to further enhance your development. Visit cues.org slash membership to learn more. Q's is an international credit union association. Our mission is to educate and develop credit union CEOs, directors, and future leaders. To learn how Q's can help you realize your potential, visit cues.org today.